Now, most of you will know um, that Rosie and I, we've got three children, and the youngest of our children is Annabelle. Um, she's two years old. She's at home at, at the minute. They're not very well. But, um, but this week, um, Anna, well, most of you will know as well, if you've met Annabelle, she likes to talk. Um, she loves to talk. She might be two, but getting her to, to stop talking is, a, is an entirely different matter. Uh, she will happily regale you with stories and tell you about her day and ask you questions till, yeah, for as long as you let her. Um, and I was sat at home and I was working this week and she came up to me and she said, Daddy, and um, I have to confess that in that moment, my focus was elsewhere. And, uh, and so I, I didn't respond immediately, um, but again, anybody who's met Annabelle will know that she is a master of being persistent. So uh, she carried on and she said, Daddy, Daddy. And so eventually I kind of turned and I said to her, you know, Annabelle, what is it? And, and she, what she said to me took me by surprise. It wasn't what I was expecting and it seemed to just come out of nowhere. And she said to me, Daddy, I hate adverts. the mind of a two-year-old. You know, so it's not what you expect a two-year-old to say, but, you know, how many of you would agree with Annabelle that you don't like adverts? You know, I don't really like adverts either. You know, they're so often, they're inappropriate in some kind of way. They're advertising something that you've got no interest in, you'd rather wasn't on the screen in front of you. Or they're just get in the way of what it is that you're really wanting to watch or to, to read, or they make you think about stuff that just you don't want to be thinking about. And so most of us don't really like adverts. They seem a bit of a waste of time. People wanting to make us think about things that we're not interested in. And yet, what I do like... And what I do think is, is, is interesting with adverts is they give us a little bit of an insight into to what the world perceives are people's felt needs. The felt needs that people have that they're trying to market to. And, and one of the common themes that comes across through, through adverts is, is that people are looking for life. And it's not just enough that we live, we want to be really alive. We want to have real life and, and life to the full. There's a, a few different companies um, that have taken hold of, of this idea. You get the classic lines like from Pepsi Max to, to live life to the max. Um, I found three different con- uh, companies ranging from uh, shampoo to holidays with Radox and David Lloyd's uh, leisure centers and with Butlins who all chose to advertise themselves with a tagline, come to life. That if you wash in our product, or if you go to this place, or if you buy what it is that that we have, then you'll really come to life. IKEA's advertising slogan is, the wonderful everything. Don't settle for the ordinary every day. What you want to experience is the wonderful every day. You want to have real life. And then there's a medical company called Abbott who sell themselves by talking about how we don't want to see the world and, and settle for seeing the world how it is. We want to be able to see what it could be. And so their tagline for their company is life to the fullest. And the idea that we'd have life to the fullest if we can see the potential which is out there. You know, and I might not like adverts, I might not have any interest in the products, I might wish that they would never come up, but there is something attractive, there is something that appeals in what it is that they're talking about. Might not be interested in the products, but the thing that they're talking about, 
this idea that it could solve. There is something in me that says, yes, you know, I want to see the world. I want to see myself. I want to see other people, not just for what they are, but for what they could be. I want to know life, and I want to know life to the fullest. You know, and we've been taking some time recently unpacking a a vision that God gives to a prophet in the Bible called Ezekiel. Um, And I, I think this vision captures something of God's answer to this longing for us to know life and life to the fullest. You know, you can find what we've been looking at in Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 1 to 12. Ezekiel is is shown around the temple. He's shown around the place that that represents God's presence with his people here on earth. And and from this temple, there flows a a trickle of water. It's just a trickle that's that's running down the steps out of the entrance of, of the temple. And you'd expect that it would just kind of soak into the ground and disappear and it would be gone. But it doesn't. It defies the laws of nature and it grows. And it becomes a stream which becomes a river. And it flows across the desert and it enters. Uh, as it goes across the desert, we read in verse 8, it should probably said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. The river enters the sea that is, is so salty that nothing can live there. A place where there is no life and no hope. Uh, But he goes on and it says he flows into the Dead Sea and when it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So wherever the river flows, everything will live. Where the river flows, everything will live. And not only will there be fish in the sea, but there will be trees on both sides of the river. And these will be the most amazing, healthy, flourishing trees you can imagine. You see, where this river flows, it transforms things from merely existing to really living. It brings life and life to the full. And that's the promise of what flows from the presence of God. It's the the promise of what God is wanting to pour out into our lives as individuals, but on us also here together and on across our nation and across the earth. And as we look around the world and as we we watch the news and we see the different things which uh, happen week in and week out, horrific things, we need it, don't we? We need something of this life-giving river to bring transformation. And as we look honestly at our our own lives and our own struggles and our selfishness and the times when we feel empty and like we're not really living, we need this life-transforming river of God to bring life to us too. And, And so the question is, what is it? What is this river? Well, this vision that that God gave to to Ezekiel became such a key picture of of hope to the Jewish people that that every year they would remind each other of it. Every year they, they would read it to one another on the last day of what they called the Festival of Tabernacles. A festival which was about God being with his people and the hope that they had of God being with his people. 
And then this is what we read happens with Jesus during this same festival in John 7, verses 37 to 39. This is just after they would have reminded each other and talked to each other about this vision of the river of God in Ezekiel 47. It says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood so that everybody could see him. And he said in a loud voice so that everyone could hear him, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. I think this is really the crux of what Ezekiel 47 is all about. It's about the flow of the Holy Spirit into us transforming us, bringing us life, satisfying our thirst, making us the temple, making us the dwelling place of God on this earth. And the Holy Spirit, the river of living water flowing out from us, from within us to bring life and hope and transformation to the world that we're in. And this is huge. This is the crux of of everything that God is wanting to to do in us and through us. And it's something that we're going to keep coming back to over the rest of this series flow. And the first thing, though, that, that hits me with this is that our what question, what is the river, becomes a who question. Because the river isn't a what, it's a who. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit. And and if If the means through which God wants to bring transformation to to your life and to my life and transformation to the whole earth is through the Holy Spirit, then it's so important that we understand who he is. And it can be hard. You know, it can be hard for us to really get a hold of who the Holy Spirit is because, you know, we don't have have a framework to understand this kind of idea of of, of spirit and the Holy Spirit and, and who he is as a person. You know, we we have a framework from which we can understand something of who God the Father is. We can understand something of God as Father. It might not be a perfect understanding. It might be limited. But we can build a bit of a mental image of God as Father. And in a similar way, we can can start to grasp something of what it means for, for Jesus to be God the Son. But when it comes to God the Holy Spirit, we don't have a framework that we understand from our experiences and what we see on this earth. It's outside of our our natural understanding. And so what do we do? Well, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit using the imagery of a life-giving river, as we've talked about, but also talks about the Spirit as a rushing wind or as a, a burning fire and as a dove. So how does that help us to understand who the Holy Spirit is? These are all images which are designed to help us to grasp some aspect of the characteristics of the Holy Spirit and how he works and what he does. But they don't really tell us who he is. Because ultimately the Holy Spirit isn't water or fire or wind. He isn't just some kind of impersonal force to be used. The Holy Spirit is a person. 
He's the person of God making himself present in our lives in a real and tangible way. You know, later in, in John 14, verses 16 to 17, when, when Jesus is talking about how a, a time is coming when he won't be with us on the earth anymore. And he says, I will ask the Father and, the, and the, he will send to you another just like me. He will be to you everything that I am. He will be your helper, your comforter, your guide, your teacher, your counselor. And when the Father sends the Holy Spirit, it will be even better for you. Because he won't only be able to be with you like I'm with you, but he will be in you. He will dwell in you and make his home in your heart. You know, elsewhere, Paul talks about how the Holy Spirit has a personality and emotions. You know, we can both grieve the Spirit and upset him. Or we can please the Spirit and make him happy. And he prays that we might know the fellowship or the friendship of the Holy Spirit. You can have the Holy Spirit as your best friend. And when Jesus teaches his followers how to baptize people, he teaches them to to baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Father and as God the Son. He's eternal. It was through the Holy Spirit that everything that we see around us was created. He knows everything. And even better than that, he's the one whose whole heart and, and desire is to reveal and to teach and to make known. To share it with us. He's everywhere and it's through the person of the Spirit that Jesus is able to to make good on his promise to never leave us or forsake us. So when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, what we're and allowing the Holy Spirit to to flow into our lives, it's not talking about simply receiving a power or a force or something from God. What we're talking about when we pray in that way and when we talk in that way is we're talking about welcoming into our lives the very person of God. And stop and and just think about that for a moment because it's incredible. Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who made the mountains and the seas and the stars in the universe, the one who is holy and perfect, the one who is all-powerful, the one who knows everything, wants to live in you. And if you've already welcomed the Holy Spirit into your life, then he's already made his home in you. You have welcomed into your life the very person of God, your maker. Isn't that incredible? Living on the inside of you is not just a force, but a friend. And this person, this friend who is living on the inside of you is the one who knows everything that is to come. The one who holds all the answers. So where you go, God goes. Everything you're ever going to need is already in you because God has made his home in you. And when Jesus describes the person of the Holy Spirit, it says uh, the helper, the teacher, the revealer, essentially is the one who wants to give out. The one who wants to meet our needs as we look to him. 
You know, and this is simple, and it's easy to just kind of become something that we accept and just know and just take for granted. But at the same time, when you stop and ponder what this really means, it's mind-blowing. And it starts to, to, to begin to, if you live in light of this truth, to transform everything of the way that you live. No, the very person of God who has everything you need, who is able to overcome every obstacle, every circumstance, every struggle, who is able to comfort you, who is able to strengthen you, who is able to to do everything, who is able to reveal to you the way forwards and to, to give you insight and guidance and direction. This very God is living in you. And when we grasp this, when this truth sinks into our hearts in a deeper way, we'll find that there's no place for anxiety or fear or worry because the very person of God is with us and is wanting to give us what we need in every moment. And so part of what I think the Holy Spirit is wanting to to do this morning is to help us to grasp afresh who he is. And how amazing it is that he is always with us. In fact, I think that's probably the primary thing that the Holy Spirit is always looking to do. As he works as the revealer. It's to open our eyes and to help us to see something more of who God is. And to open our eyes and help us to realize something more of who we are. And so I think that before the Holy Spirit has comes to, to convict us of anything or to do anything through us and to, to give us gifts and to work in all these different kind of ways that we talk about, the first thing that he wants to do is to help us to know who we are in God. You know, and, and in our culture today, identity is a big issue, isn't it? You know, people are free to pick and choose their identity, who they are, what they want to be. They can be anything or anyone that they want. And so there is this, this search to discover who we are. And this is in every area of our life. It's to do with our faith, our career, our sexuality, our moral, our ethical beliefs. Who am I? What do I want to be? Do I like who I am? What is it that makes me me? And when the starting point for of our society's understanding is that our existence is accidental... That it's just a grand cosmic accident as a result of a big bang and evolution. It's not a great surprise that identity becomes something of an issue. It's a big question. And one of the key things that the Holy Spirit wants to help you to, to come to know is what your identity really is. That you're not an accident. That you were designed and made on purpose. Even if your parents didn't plan for you, God did. The Holy Spirit who lives in you is the same Spirit who made you. And he wants you to know that you were made on purpose and he wants you to reveal to you who God is as your Father and who you are as his child. I love what what Paul writes about this in, in Romans 8. Verses 15 to 16, he says this, says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. 
And I hope it maybe hit home in a fresh way for those of you that's familiar with or for those of you who find that hard to, to really get your head around. This is how it reads in the message translation. He says, this resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's life to the full. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is, and we know who we are, father and children. That's what the Holy Spirit is about. He wants us to know who he is as our father. And he wants us to know who we are as his children. And from that place, when you wake up in the morning, we can wake up adventurously expectant. Isn't that a great phrase? To wake up in the morning adventurously expectant and say to God, what have you got for me today, Papa? Do we really know who he is? And do we really know who we are? Because I believe that this is the foundational thing to everything else. And when we start to grasp the reality of the living God as our Father, the living God as with us in every moment, has made his heart and his home within us, and we are his children. When we begin to grasp our identity in God, it will affect every, every area of our lives and everything else that we live out. No, God is concerned with who you are before he is concerned with what you do. You know, if I'm confused about my identity, if I see myself as, as rejected, if I see myself as an accident or as a, a failure, as someone who's, who people just put up with, if I see myself as someone who's, who's stuck in bad habits and I can't change, it's just part of who I am, then I'll live that way. But if I realize that I have a new identity in Jesus, that God has given me a new identity as I've been adopted into his family and been made his child, that I have a wonderful heavenly father, that I'm secure in his love as his child, that I'm accepted and as I am, just as I am, that, that God is with me in every moment to enable me to be all that he's made me to be, to set me free from, from bad habits and sin, to make me help me to live a life which is holy and pleasing to him. And if I live in light of that, then it will change everything and affect how I live. You know, one of the primary things the Holy Spirit wants to, to do before anything else is to make sure that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is your loving Father and that you are his precious child. He wants you to know deep down in your heart and to be secure in the truth that you are loved and that you are his son or daughter, not just now, but for all eternity. You know, one of the key lessons that we all have to learn in our relationship with God is how to move our personal devotions, how to move our times of reading the Bible and praying from something that we do to someone that we spend time with. And that's a big shift. 
for it not to be something that we do, but someone that we spend time with. You know, I know that personally I've had lots of times in the past when reading my Bible or praying has become dry and I've felt distant from God. And it was just something that I felt I had to do. And so I naturally start spending less time doing it. And then at some point I, I, I feel convicted. And I decide I need to do something about this and I need to make a change. And so I'd get up early and I'd have a quiet time and I'd read my Bible and I'd pray and I'd be determined to change things. Who was determined to change things? I was. It was something that I was doing. Almost with a kind of attitude that I needed to try really hard. And then I'd feel close to God again. And you know it really worked. And so I'd quickly get discouraged. And the cycle would go on. And the big shift for me was when I realized that spending time reading the Bible or in prayer wasn't about something that I do, it was about someone that I spend time with. And that God was already intimately close to me. Whether I realized it or not, whether I felt it or not, he wasn't distant at all. He lived inside of me. He'd made his home in me. He was as intimately close as he could ever be. And nothing that I was going to do was going to change that. Nothing that I was going to do could ever make him closer. Suddenly my times with God weren't about trying to get somewhere or to do something so that I could be close to God. It was spending time with someone who was already nearby. They stopped being times of me striving and became times when I started to rest. To just drop back and say, God, I've been finding this hard, it's dry, I'm struggling, and I'm just going to throw myself in your arms of mercy and thank you that you're here, that you love me, that you accept me as I am. Just to rest in the wonderful truth as God is my father. And my identity is his child. That the Holy Spirit was with me and in me. And that nothing could shake that. I rested in the truth that I was intimately close to my heavenly father. And it became not something that I do, but someone who I spend time with. And it's a time of just giving the Holy Spirit space to speak to me and to change me. You know, the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals to us who God is and who we are. And who connects us to God in an intimate way. Not because of anything that we do, but simply because he is with us and in us always. And as the Holy Spirit shows us who God is and who we are, not only do we discover that we're accepted and loved, but actually we also have our eyes open to see how different we are from Jesus in certain ways. We have our eyes open to see the mistakes that we make. To see our selfishness, to see how weak we are. To see how much we need him. And sometimes we don't like that and so we pull back. 
But you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't ever raise those things to you as some kind of finger-wagging headmaster wanting to tell you off. He brings those things and he opens your eyes to those things and he brings that kind of a conviction. Not to make you, you feel bad, but because he wants to bring you life. And he wants us to realize how much we're missing out on by doing life our own way. He knows that, that actually what's best for us and the way that God designed us to be is like Jesus. The real reason that the Holy Spirit makes us aware of how different we are from Jesus and the things in our lives that need to change is not to make us feel guilty or to make us feel like we've failed yet again or that we're not enough for another person. That's never what God is about. It's to stir our hearts so that we don't settle for what is and we see what could be. And to help us to become more and more like Jesus. You know, you might have heard of how when dogs and owners spend lots of time together, they start to, to look like each other. Here's a, a picture that was put together. This was done by Caesar Dog Food, uh, another advert. Do you know what? I'm pretty sure this picture's not real. I can't believe it. I'm sure that they've paired these dogs and actors together for, just to create a, a good picture. It's some kind of myth that dogs and owners look like each other. But it's, um, it's pretty funny, isn't it? But you know, what I do know is true is that as we spend more time with Jesus, as we spend more time with the Holy Spirit, we start to look more like him. And we become more like him. Now, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 that we all who with unveiled faces contemplate or reflect the Lord's glory, we who spend time with God are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, comes from the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing, we won't ever manage to become like Jesus through our own willpower. You know, I imagine we've all tried that. We've all at different times made decisions with the best of intentions that we're going to give up this or we're going to start to do that. And we've failed enough times to know that it's not going to happen. But when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives as we spend time with him, and that's the key, he gives us power to change and begin to be transformed from the inside out. Now it doesn't matter how long you have struggled with something, it doesn't matter how strong the addiction is or how much you think it's just a part of your personality and you've got to live with it. As you spend time with the Holy Spirit, he can bring about change. And you might say, well, I'm just not a very patient person. Well, do you know what? Part of the fruit of the Spirit, part of the character of the Spirit is patience. And as you spend time with him, you'll become more patient. Maybe you feel like you're always saying you'll start doing this or you'll stop doing that, but you struggle to follow through. You don't have enough self-control. Well, do you know what? Part of the fruit of the Spirit, part of the characteristics of who the Holy Spirit is, is self-control. And as you spend more time with the Holy Spirit, guess what? You'll become more like Him. And you'll grow in self-control. 
Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have any responsibility and it's all just up to God to do everything and we can just say, oh, well, it's not my fault. Now, elsewhere, Paul writes that the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. So the Holy Spirit, he teaches us and he gives us everything that we need. He gives us the ability to be able to say no. But it's still us who has to say it. We still have to be the ones to make that decision. You know, the Holy Spirit will not say no for us. The Holy Spirit won't get out of bed for us. If we decide, oh, well, it's not my fault that I have enough self-control to get out of bed in the morning to spend time with God. The Holy Spirit won't get out of bed for you. But he will, as you spend time with him, strengthen you and teach you how to do it. He won't forgive for you. But he will help you. He will comfort you. He will bring grace to you and teach you how to do it. It's a partnership between us and God as we spend time with him and allow him to work in us. Allow him to shape our character and to grow in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So that as we spend time with him, we start to look and become more like him. So as we allow the Holy Spirit to, to flow into our lives, as we choose to come to Jesus and drink from him, the starting point of what he wants to do is to open our eyes to see something more of who he is, something more of who God is as our Father and who we are as his children. To draw us close to God and help us to experience him and to know that we're intimately close to him and that nothing can ever change that. And to bring about transformation and change so that we become more and more like Jesus. And as we allow the Holy Spirit to to work in these kind of ways, we will be set free from wrong beliefs and wrong thinking. We'll be set free from sin and wrong habits and addictions and struggles. We'll be set free from personality traits that we've thought we've been stuck with. And we will discover life. Real life. Life in all its fullness. No matter what you have have been through, no matter what you are struggling with, no matter where you are at, God is taking the initiative and reaching out to you this morning to open your eyes to know who He is as your Father. And who you are as His child. So that you know, that you know, that you know that you are loved and accepted and that you have a new identity in Jesus.